The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And this is a weekend that we remember people who have actually had so much. So we talk about their bravery. We talk about their sacrifice. But how about the love of the people that have laid down their life so that we could have freedom, so that we could be safe, so that we could have peace. And so today we just want to take a minute and we just want to say a prayer of gratitude uh, to God for these brave people that have laid down their lives for us for many, many decades. Uh, Father, just first of all, thank you so much for the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. Lord, the ability that we have to come together and worship you and to speak our mind and to proclaim Jesus to the world around us is a freedom that we do not take lightly. And Lord, even though it's free for us, we know that it's been very expensive. Lord, for the last couple hundred years, brave men and women have laid down their lives so that we could be free. And so today, Lord, we just want to take a minute and just thank you for their love and for their sacrifice and for how they did just what Jesus did. They gave up what was best and, 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 and truest and rightest for them and set that aside. They set all of their privileges aside for us. And so, Lord, today, we just want to thank you for their sacrifice, the sacrifice of their families, Lord. We know that they're not the only ones who made sacrifices. Many of us in this room have made a huge sacrifice by allowing one of our loved ones to go off and defend us. And so, Lord, again, thanks for our freedom. And thank you for the people that have made it possible. And Lord, now as we're about to get into your word, I just pray that you will open it up for us. Lord, we want your word to open to us, but we want to be open to your word. We are people of your book. And so, God, will you just please show us in your word what it is that you would have us to know and teach us whatever things we need to learn. And God, will you please just change us today? by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at living life with your hair on fire. And we've been talking about what that looked like in the life of the Acts 2 church. And we've been talking about what it looks like for us to realize that God's spirit lives in us. And we look back on that crazy day in Acts chapter 2, and we see some really weird manifestations, right? When the Holy Spirit came to live in people, some weird stuff happened. They all got the flames on their head, and they were speaking the languages that they didn't understand. The wind was blowing. It was a crazy, crazy day for these manifestations. But it was other stuff, too. These people also had supernatural boldness and supernatural persistence and supernatural generosity and compassion and last week, we started talking about how this church had supernatural unity. And for that church, just like this church, if they wanted unity, they had to overcome a lot of things because there were a lot of differences between those people. There was a lot of division between those people because they were made up of all kinds of different people. And they had to overcome a really particularly huge divide in that some of them were Jews and some of them were Gentiles. So it was like God's people and everybody else trying to come together as one body. And that division is huge. In fact, that division is so profound that it actually gives me hope about our divisions because although our divisions are real, and they are real, we have real divisions like race and politics and theological differences and, and border security and gun control and COVID protocols and all those are great things to argue about and divide over. But I just have great hope that even those can be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are a million things 
to divide over. In fact, you might be startled to know that there is probably somebody in this room that disagrees with you on something. Would you believe it? Uh, I'll tell you this, if you want to have some cheap entertainment, because I don't know, Netflix is like 12 bucks a month now. That is way out of my price range. If you can't afford to go bowling or something, you want to have some fun today, I'll tell you what you do. Just take a couple of random people from the church, just a random sample of people that you don't know, and invite them to lunch. And then when you get to lunch, just sit down at the restaurant and just say, hey, what do you guys think about vaccinations? <laughs> just order some chips and queso and sit back and relax because you are in for a show. And if that, doesn't, if, it doesn't, if that doesn't like set them off and get them going, just ask another question. What do you think about mega churches? And one of them will say, mega churches saved my life. They're reaching more people than anybody in history. And somebody else will say, mega churches are dumbing down the gospel. They're from the devil. And you'll be saying, more chips over here, please. <laughs> and just watch them punch it out. I mean, it's just really good, clean entertainment. Um, ask them about the rapture. And <laughs> this is awesome, right? So when do you think the rapture is going to come? Is that before the tribulation? Is that after the tribulation? Is it mid-tribulation? And just watch, man, it's before the tribulation. It's after the tribulation. It's before the tribulation. And you'll just, again, more chips over here, right? As they're fighting it out, this is great entertainment for you. And you just keep going until you find something that bugs somebody, right? Race relations. Should women be pastors? That'll get them going. Right? If you want to have some good, clean fun, just invite somebody out. And like I said, who can afford pay-per-view, right? Who can afford Netflix? If you want to see a good fight, just start one <laughs> by asking people at church what they think about these divisive issues. It's, it's good, clean fun, right? No, it's not. That is not. <laughs> it's a little fun, but it's not good, clean fun. And you would never intentionally start division in the church just for your fun. But I'm going to tell you something, if you did, the devil could take a day off because you'd be doing one of his most important jobs. You'd be pulling one of his most favorite tricks. You would be doing one of the things that he does most and best when he wants to come against the church, and that is to start division. But last week, we saw that as Christians, we should want unity, not division. In fact, we should be willing to work towards unity because it's good practice for God's kingdom, and the Bible clearly calls for it, and it's obviously what Jesus wants. Jesus wants unity in his body, and I think most of us want unity. It sounds good. Last week, everybody was amening all week. I mean, it sounds good. Unity sounds good, but unity really is like the weather. You know, everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. It's like we just keep getting further and further away from each other. And the whole time, we're wishing for unity, we're hoping for unity, we're, we're wanting unity, but the divisions just keep growing deeper. And I think if we want unity in the body, if you want unity in your family, if you want unity on your team or your school or your office, I think we have to take some hard steps. I think we have to do some hard work to bring about unity. In fact, Ephesians 4, 3 says we should make every effort, I'm reading it, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. But what does that effort look like, right? What, what are the 
what does that work look like? What, what are the steps that you could actually intentionally take towards unity? So today, we're going to look at a story of a guy who I think, by the power of the Holy Spirit, really handled division well, and really, maybe without even realizing he was doing it, worked for unity and set a really great like template for us, a great example for us. Because we're looking at his story of division and unity, you can think about your story of division and unity. Is there someone or is there some group of people in your family or in your, in your hood or in your office or in your church that you don't have unity with? Maybe it's other Christians. Or maybe it's family members. Somebody that you want unity with, but it just feels like it's impossible. And maybe we'll find some answer, answer your unity story as we look at his unity story. And the guy, you've probably heard of him, his name is Ananias. And Ananias shows up in one of the most famous stories in the Bible. In fact, Luke loves this story so much that in the book of Acts, Luke tells the story three different times. Same story, three times in one book. Today, we're gonna look at the version he told in Acts chapter nine. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip over to Acts chapter nine. We're just gonna kinda read through this story. It's really about Saul, um, who we also call Paul. It's the same person. Um, you guys mostly call me Larry, but you might be surprised to know that my family calls me, calls me Don. Did you know that? It's because we're hillbillies, okay? That's the way, that's, that's what we do at my house. Okay, so my family called, but, but you know, when, when I'm with you, mostly people call me Larry, and then when I'm with my family, they mostly call me Larry Don, and Saul, Paul, kind of the same deal. Saul was more of a Jewish name, and so when he was with his Jewish friends, I'm sure they all called him Saul, and then when he was hanging out with the Gentiles, everybody called him Paul. So um, Saul's the main character in this story, but I love the part in this story that is played by Ananias. He's just, we don't know a lot about him. He's a Jewish guy. guy. Um, he lives in Damascus, and uh, he is a Jesus follower. So he is, he is a Jew that has now become, started following Jesus, and he's a member of this movement, the Jesus movement. And at that time, they're calling it The Way. Isn't that the coolest thing ever? Shouldn't we call, we call it The Way? I just think that is the cool, that's what they, it's called, it's called the, so that's Ananias, he's on one side of the divide in this story, and the other guy is Saul, and Saul, you know, is a really big deal, Pharisee, Jesus, uh, Jewish leader, uh, and again, if you think we have division, so Saul loves God, he loves God, and now here comes this Jesus character, and Jesus is saying, I am God, and that's blasphemy, me, where Saul is concerned. And Ananias is on board with that. And so this is not some minor theological difference that they're, that they're having. Saul thinks that Ananias and that whole group of people called the way are just like crazy heretics. And he is not satisfied just, you know, posting bad stuff about them on Instagram or something. He has literally, literally a license to kill. So this is a major division. We've got Ananias, a member of the way, and we've got Saul, a guy who has vowed to arrest or kill people who are part of the way. Let's pick up the story. This is Acts chapter nine. Kind of a long read. I'm in the New Living Translation. Uh, verse one says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was, and was here to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers, followers A that he found there. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, in chains. 
As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so he asked, Who are you, Lord? And, and replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless because they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, and, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand into Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and didn't eat or drink. Okay, here we go. Verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in the women of it, Ananias. And he replied, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now, and I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people, many people, the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. And afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus. He stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And the rest is history, right? Saul started a bunch of churches and wrote half of the New Testament and did amazing things for Jesus. In fact, verse 31 says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and became stronger, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So once they had this unity between them, it seemed like things kind of straightened themselves out. And to me, what's amazing is that at the beginning of this story, Saul is on his way to Damascus with a purpose to arrest and kill people like Ananias. And Ananias is scared to death of Saul. How could they be further apart, right? And just in a day or a couple of days, here's Ananias praying for him, right? He's baptizing him. He's, he's sending him around town and taking him to all the church of the church and helping him meet everybody and buying him snow cones and everything. It's that Saul's hair's on fire now. He's preaching Jesus. It's like, it's just like, we on the same page now. What happened? And obviously the Holy Spirit happened, but what I want to do today is kind of break this down and look at the specific steps that Ananias went through to bring about unity where there was previously this huge division. And as, and as in this, I would really encourage you to think about somebody or some group that you feel separated from or you feel divided from or maybe a relationship that you feel called to have unity in it, but right now there's division. And let's just see what steps maybe we can take to move towards unity. So the first step that Ananias took, and maybe our first step should be, to see what God sees. To see what God sees. Um, can I give you guys a paraphrase of a couple of the verses there? In verse 12 and 13, 
God says to Ananias, I want you to go over and pray for this dude named Saul. And Saul said in Hebrew, Ata Mashuga, which means, are you crazy? Right? It's a paraphrase. I said it was a paraphrase. So he says to God, you're, no, no. I'm, he's, that Saul, he's a, he's a murderer, man. He's a Jesus hater. He's going to throw me in jail. He's the worst. This, this Saul's the enemy of the way. He is horrible. And what Ananias needed, actually, was he needed some scales to fall from his eyes so that he could see, see the way God saw Saul. And God helped him with that. In verse, in verse 18, God says to Ananias, no, no, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentile and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I think seeing Saul from God's view, I think when, when Ananias saw Saul as God's chosen instrument, I think that just, that changed things for him. I think that changed the way he looked at Saul. And maybe he's not the devil, you know? I mean, I don't agree with him, and I don't like the fact that he's been imprisoning and killing my friends, but he loves God. God obviously loves him. He's obviously part of God's plan. And so I think we kind of translate that into our lives, right? Think about the people that we're divided from about whatever, theological stuff, or politics, or race, or COVID protocols, or whatever it is, it's easy to see those people on the other side as the enemy. Oh, they're the devil, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing good about them. Maybe we need to start by slicing them, not their ideas, right, not their position, by seeing them the way that God sees them. And for some of them that are opposed to you, it's hard to hard to believe, but God sees them as people made in his image. Jesus sees them as people worth dying for. God has a plan for their lives. Even that person that adamantly disagrees with you, that, it, that you're so sure they're the enemy, God has a plan, plan, plan. God can actually use them. They have value in the kingdom of God. God could do amazing things through them. And maybe you're thinking, oh, no, not these clowns, right? No, not these people. I know some people, yeah, but not these people. They're the enemy, man, man, worst. They're the worst. Let me ask you a question. Those people that you're against or that are against you, are they taking people out of church and killing them? Because that's what Saul was solving. And yet God saw value in Saul. God saw promise in Saul, and he helped and helped Annas to see it too. So we need to learn to see people the way God sees them. We need to see what God sees in them. We need to see their story. I'll tell you a really interesting verse. I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this, but verse 16. He says, go pray for Saul. He's going to do all this amazing work, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And he did, man. If you know what comes to the chapters after this, Saul's life was not easy, and it was fixing to get really, really, really hard. And I just wonder, when we look at people's ideas that are opposed to us, or when we look at people's actions or behaviors that are opposed to us, do we see their struggles? Do we think about what maybe they're up against? Do we see what God sees? Or do we just choose to see them as the enemy? In this past summer, I was going to preach a little on racism, and one of the really eye-opening things 
that I, that I, as I prepared was just to sit down with some people on the other side of it. You know, just to sit down with some people that didn't think like me on the subject, that didn't feel like me and didn't look like me and just hear their stories and just hear what they had experienced and what they had been through. I just try to get their perspectives. And when I heard their stories, when I heard their struggles, when I heard what they had been through, their perspectives made a lot more sense to me. And I didn't see them as the enemy in the problem anymore. I saw them, maybe we don't agree, but we want the same thing. And I think whatever the division is, the people that are on the other side, if they disagree with you, obviously they're wrong. Right? That's, that's okay. Saul was wrong too, wasn't he? Saul was wrong. Saul was wrong. <laughs> there was a right and a wrong in this. Saul was killing Christians. He was, he was wrong. But unity might require that you set aside their wrongness. Unity might require that you set aside your rightness and just see them not as a person that's wrong, but as somebody that God loves, as somebody that Jesus was willing to die for, as someone that was made in God's image, as someone that God could actually use to benefit the kingdom, as someone that has real struggles and real problems, just like you do. So if we see them the way God sees them, I think that's a really great step towards unity. Second step, we have to have the courage to reach out. We have to have the courage. If we want, we say we want unity. If we want it, we gotta do hard stuff, right? We have to have the courage to reach out. But the truth of it is, when, it's, when we're on opposite sides of an issue with somebody, it's easier just to circle our wagons, right? It's easier just to kind of get in our little silos. That's what I do. That's what I do. I know you don't, but this is what I do. On controversial stuff, I mostly read authors who agree with me right? I mostly watch videos that agree with me. I mostly talk to people that agree with me. My social media feed is mostly full of posts that agree with me. And of course, that's natural, right? Those are the people that we're friends with. Those are the people that we like. Those are the people that we trust. And it's fun to have conversations with them because we can spend our time mocking the people and how stupid they are on the other side of the discussion. But the problem is those people on the other side also read authors that agree with them. And they also watch videos that agree with them. And they also talk to people that agree with them. And their social media feed is full of stuff that agrees with them. And so as I'm listening to my authors and talking to my friends and watching my video and looking at my Facebook posts, at the same time, they're talking to their friends and reading their authors and watching their videos and looking at their Facebook posts to the point that we're completely back to back. And the truth of it is this, I mean, I know it's the easiest thing to do. It's what most of us do. It's what we all do most of the time. And I will just go this far. Honestly, on divisive topics, a lot of us have not only lost interest in unity, we've lost interest in pursuing the truth. And we're mostly focused on defending our position. I didn't think that would get an amen, but I said it. I thank you. It's too late now. Ananias could not have had a bigger disagreement, right? He could, there's no bigger division than this. He couldn't have been surer that he was right. He was right. He was right. So being right does not change this. He was right. 
But verse 16, God says, go see Saul. Verse 17 says, so Ananias went. He was scared. He did not like Saul, but he had the courage to reach out. And he didn't do it half-heartedly. You know, he didn't go to, to Saul and say, you know, Saul, I gotta tell you the truth, while you're still blind, I think you're a jerk, right? I disagree with everything you're doing. You've killed a bunch of my friends and imprisoned a bunch of others, and I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Now I guess I'll pray with you because God says I had to. It wasn't half-hearted like that, and it wasn't fake. It wasn't fake. If you ever watch, I love watching the argument threads on social media. That's, again, cheap entertainment, right? But you'll always see somebody on, on you know, opposite sides and the thread is going, well, you're stupid, no, you're stupid, no, you're stupid, no, you're stupid, it just goes on and on. And somebody invariably will say, I don't know, I reached out, you know, I reached out to the people on the other side of the issue. I tried to open a civil conversation and I told them just as sweet as you please, you know, you're an idiot and your ideas are all wrong and they won't listen. I tried to make nice, you know, I did my part, I reached out and now, you know, it's on them. But that's not what Saul, that's not what Ananias did. Look, look how he approaches his enemy. This is the guy that came to kill him. He starts with brother Saul. Brother Saul. I mean, he's really reaching out. He's really trying to connect. And for us, I guess sometimes like we're scared that we'll like lose leverage if we do that, or we're scared that they'll hurt us, or they'll take advantage, or they'll win the argument, and so it's, it's scary to do that. But if unity is really a goal for us, if we really want unity, we gotta do hard stuff. And somebody's gonna have to stick their hand out first, right? Somebody's gonna have to reach across the issue. Somebody's gonna have to reach across the aisle or across the denomination or across the table, across our differences and just say, you know, whatever our differences are and however this thing turns out, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're not my enemy. The second step, if we really want unity, is we have to have the courage to reach out. The third step to unity is instead of arguing, we need to pray for healing. So again, let's, let's keep this in the real tense, right? Let's keep it in now. That person that you disagree with, that person that you have these differences with, you're divided from or whatever. Let's, have, you, have you prayed for them? Have you prayed for them? Because Ananias prayed for Saul to get his sight back. He prayed that Saul would get his sight back. And it wasn't, there was nothing in that for him. There was no advantage to Ananias for Saul to get his sight back. He prayed for what was best for Saul. And to me, that is just an amazing act of humility. Right? The, only, the only thing more Christ-like than putting other people's needs ahead of your own is putting your enemy's needs above your own. Jesus said in Matthew 5, love your enemies. Right? Pray for your enemies. The people that disagree with us on these little issues are not the enemy. But Jesus said, even your enemies, pray for them. And I just wonder what would happen if someone that we really disagree with, right, we really have a disagreement with this person, I wonder what would happen instead of trying to convince them of our ideas, or instead of trying to shoot down their ideas, I wonder what would happen if we really prayed for them. And not, you know, God, please show my friend how wrong they are. <laughs> 
I'm praying in Jesus' name now. You know, show them how stupid they are and how perfect my ideas are and how right I am for your glory <laughs> or mine. I'm talking about really praying for them. Ananias didn't say anything about what was best for him. He didn't say anything about how wrong Saul was. He prayed that he would get his sight back. I'm talking about taking all the energy that we would normally spend on discounting their ideas or shooting down their ideas or thinking of clever things to say and instead investing that time and that effort and that energy into literally praying for what's best for them. To really pray for healing and peace and joy and blessing and pray for their jobs and their marriages and their family and their health. I mean, if nothing else, you would freak them out. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you, you know, you are so wrong in your stance on whatever, race, or you're so wrong about eschatology, you are so wrong, the Bible says blah, 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 and I think blah, 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 and I read blah, 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 and I'm telling you that you are a false teacher, and you are the enemy, and you're demonic, and you're ruining the church, and you are gonna burn. What do you think of that? What if you said to them, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And they said, yeah, but you're gonna burn. <laughs> May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And they said, yeah, but you're gonna burn. And then you just go, amen. <laughs> Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle answer deflects anger. If we really wanna have a conversation, we gotta get rid of the anger first. And maybe that starts with us just praying for healing. And I know the response to that, because I feel it too, and that is, you know what, I gotta stand up. You know, I, I, it is on me, I gotta show them the error of their ways. And yeah, maybe, you know, sometimes, but <laughs> you've seen arguments before. How do they normally end up? Right, you followed them on Facebook. You've seen the comments back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When was the last time you saw one of those comments say, wow, thanks for straightening me out. Right? <laughs> now I see the error of my ways because you were so eloquent and so funny in your comments on Facebook. When was the last time you saw that? Because I think it was never. Right? That's, nev that's never, ever, ever, ever gonna happen. Most arguments are not gonna change anybody's mind. In fact, that's 1 Timothy 4, 7. Paul calls arguing a waste of time. And look, again, obviously you're right and they're wrong. That's, we'll just give you that. Let's just, let's just call that a given. But if they're not going to be convinced, which they're probably not, then instead of wasting time arguing, maybe we should do what God instructed Ananias to do and spend that time praying for them, that God will just love them and heal them and show them mercy and show them kindness and use them for his kingdom. And oh, how do I pray for them? Man, they're the enemy. I don't know anything about them. I don't even know how to pray for them. How about this? Pray for healing in your relationship with them. That's a good one. That's praying in Jesus' name, right? Pray that God will help both of you see each other the way that he sees you. And I know, man, that's, that's hard. In fact, it might be impossible 
it might be impossible for us to love and include and have real unity with some people. Some of our divisions over really important issues, the divisions are just so deep that it might be humanly impossible for us to have healing, but that's why we pray, right? Because it is impossible. Because with God, nothing is impossible. If we want our families and our church and our country to be fully healed, if we want healing in our relationship, if we really want unity, if we really want unity, it is probably going to take supernatural help. I think it's going to take us recognizing that these differences are bigger than us, but they're not bigger than God. So a big part of working for healing and working for unity is just praying for healing. So if you want unity with somebody at your office or on your team or in your school or your family or in the church, but it seems impossible because of this division, right? Some, something that how they believe or how they act or how they think, you may not can make unity happen with people you disagree with, but the Bible instructs us to make every effort, right? You may not can make unity happen, but you can see them like God sees them. You can have the courage to reach out. You can pray for healing. And most importantly, you can point him to Jesus. That's the best thing you can do. If you have complete division with somebody, if you just can't have unity with somebody, they're so far gone, they're so far on the wrong side of an issue or something, you can point him to Jesus. That's what, that's what Ananias did. He didn't just pray that Saul would get his, his sight back or that he would be healed. He prayed for his salvation. He prayed that he would receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. He prayed that he would receive the Holy Spirit. He baptized him. Ananias probably is the one that baptized him. And so when we feel divided from people, oh man, how, how could they think this way? You know, they're so wrong. Their ideas are so backwards. The like knee jerk uh, reflex, the impulse is, well, I'm just gonna fix it. You know, I'm just gonna straighten it out. I'm gonna out-argue them. I'm gonna post something more brilliant than them. I'm gonna get them straightened out. But that honestly is not usually the best approach. Because if, if unity is the goal, because even if we somehow get consensus, right, even if we somehow reach agreement on what's right in this topic, there's just a million other stuff to divide over. There's just a million other things to fight over. A much better approach is to point him to Jesus. And when I say point him to Jesus, I don't mean his position on gun control, okay, or his position on border security, right? I'm just gonna point you to Jesus. Here's what he said about the border in Mexico. I'm saying point them to Jesus, not where you and Jesus agree, point him to Jesus, point him to his person, point him to his love and his redemption and his forgiveness and his kindness and his grace. There's a lot of things to divide over, a lot of things to split us up, but there's really only one thing that really unites us, and that's Jesus. And people I know, the feeling, because I feel it too, is yeah, but I gotta preach the truth, man. I gotta, I gotta find the truth. I gotta stand up for the truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. And when he gave us the great commission, when he gave us our marching orders, his call for us wasn't that we would be right on the issues. His call for us wasn't that we would convince everybody or win everybody over to our way of thinking. His, his instructions to us was to go into the world and make Jesus followers out of everybody. And part of that process is working for unity. 
At least Jesus thought it was. Because remember his prayer, I'll read it to you again. John 17, 21, Jesus prayed, I pray that they will, he's talking about everyone who ever comes to believe in him. He's talking about us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. And you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. So may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. When we have unity, it helps the world believe in Jesus. That's, not, that's, what he's, that's Jesus talking, right? When we have unity, it helps the world believe in Jesus. It shows the world the love of Jesus, and that is much better than winning an argument, any argument. So, really, there could not have been a greater divide than this one, right? Ananias thought Saul was a crazy Christian killing machine. Saul thought that Ananias was a blasphemer, but they ended up in unity. And I think it's really important to look at this and see that Ananias did not straighten Saul out. And he did not correct him or chastise him or post bad stuff about him on Instagram. He, he didn't do that. He saw Saul like God saw him. He had the courage to reach out. He prayed for healing. He pointed Saul to Jesus. And then Saul went on to preach and inspire people and start churches and write half of the New Testament. And the church grew and multiplied and changed the world for Jesus. And that all started when someone did the hard work of working for unity. And it is not easy work. In fact, maybe it's impossible for us on our own. But we're not on our own. Because the same spirit that spoke to Ananias and the same spirit that healed Saul and the same spirit that empowered this church to have supernatural unity, that same spirit lives in us. And if he is for us, nothing can stand against us. And when we are united in him, nothing can divide us. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for this story. What an amazing thing for us to look back 2,000 years ago and see people dealing with kind of the same stuff we're dealing with now. They had division. They disagreed with each other. They were against each other. But Lord, I just thank you for the uniting power of your Holy Spirit. That you came over Ananias and you showed him how you saw Saul. And you got him to pray for Saul. That he somehow was able to see him like you see him. He was somehow able to pray for him. He was somehow able to point him to Jesus. And God, I just pray that as we go out into the big bad world tomorrow and we face these divisions with other Christians or other people in our families, these things that separate us and divide us, God, will you just remind us of this story and help us to do it. Help us just to see these people. They're not even our enemies, but help us to see these people the way that you see them. Help us have the courage to reach out when it's hard and when it's uncomfortable. Help us to pray for their healing, to really pray for their healing and for healing in our relationships. And Lord, help us to point them to Jesus because we know that the only thing that will ever really unite us is him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.